Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. You're about to hear a rebroadcast of The Colin McEnroe Show. It was originally recorded June 28th of 2017. Welcome to Great Rosinka's Psychic World of Living Dreams. Thank you. You know, I've never had a psychic reading before, but I was impressed by your Yelp review. They gave you a star, and they said the ambiance and decor was cute and classy, and the hostess was courteous. That was actually the Cuban restaurant next door. How can I help you? Well, lately, the lack of feeling grounded has been giving me panic attacks, depression, digestion issues, infections, fatigue, blushing, trance states, and seat cramps, among other things. I went to a podiatrist named Ishtar who said I was living in two simultaneous realities and put me on a strict diet of greens, meats, and nuts. I followed the diet for a year and only became more anxiety-ridden, but now it was about the diet. I tried goat yoga, and one of the goats brought me a message from my third-grade teacher, Mr. Longoberger. The goat told me Mr. Longoberger wanted me to know she's happy in the next world and that I should have gotten a better grade in penmanship, but when I looked on Facebook, it turned out Mr. Longoberger is still alive. And then it hit me. The goat had no way of knowing that Mr. Longoberger was not dead. And then I fell into a deeper depression because I couldn't socialize because I could see words in people's hair. You're not supposed to tell me everything. Just let me read your energy. Okay, but if you get an image of a clown in a graveyard just laying flowers on a headstone, that's my father, who was a clown, but he also was a cemetery superintendent. Unless it's an image of a clown holding a pillow over the face of an old man and then something about salty snacks, in which case that's my mother's half-brother, who was a clown and murdered Orville Redenbacher. You need to be quiet. I will, but wait. I'm getting a reading from you, even though you're the psychic. Isn't that amazing? It has something to do with your job. Like... You like your job most of the time, but there's this certain person you don't enjoy dealing with. This person gets on your nerves. You wish this person would go away. Are you getting any information about what I should do? I'm seeing a duck or a chicken hovering over your head, and it's saying you should run away screaming from this person. Mm, Good. Ah! Looks like I'm the psychic now. Can I help who's next? Meanwhile, here's a show featuring the man who sued a fortune cookie company for not warning him about snakes on a plane, Colin McEnroe. So why are we, a public radio show, doing a show about psychics? Fair question. But in fact, I mean, if you look at public opinion research on this, um, an awful lot of people believe in psychics. And if you talk to a group of your friends some night, or maybe everybody's had a glass or two of wine, you'll be surprised at how many people have actually been to see a psychic. For example, as I mentioned before, I've never been to see a psychic, except I, then I remembered I actually did go to see a psychic tarot card reader during a time of some uncertainty in my life. So I've never been to, a, to see a psychic, except that I have. Uh, but the public opinion research on this runs pretty high, as high as certainly as 40% or more uh, of people believing in the notion of psychic 
uh, psychic powers or psychic phenomena, extrasensory perception. According to Pew Research, nearly three in 10 Americans say that they have felt in touch with someone who was already dead. Almost one in five say that they have seen uh, or been in the presence of ghosts. And 15 percent of Americans said they have consulted a fortune teller or a psychic. Um, Obviously, psychics, seers, soothsayers, they run all through classical literature and the Bible. uh, And uh, I mean, obviously, in classical literature, you've got Calgus and Tiresias uh, and Cassandra. Uh, And then in actual history, moving forward uh, from Nostradamus to to Gene Dixon. Gene Dixon, who was very public uh, and well-regarded, or or at least very, very well-known psychic when I was young. I mean, Gene Dixon was like really famous. Uh, Peter Herkos also was somebody that one read a lot of books about and everything. He, He claimed to have worked with law enforcement to solve crimes. So this notion that it's been around for a long time. We decided that we would look at it uh, from a bunch of different angles, including talk to people who are practicing psychics. Uh, but to guide us uh, through this journey, uh, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about who we've got as guests. Um, a little bit later in the show, you're going to hear and meet, hear from and meet Alison Dubois, psychic medium and profiler and author, author, author of several books, including Into the Dark, How the Dead Help Us Heal. She is the psychic upon which the NBC drama a medium with Patricia Arquette was based. In fact, that character is named Alison Dubois in, uh, on that series. We'll also talk to Daryl Bem, a professor of psychology emeritus at Cornell University, who says that he has done research, laboratory testing, indicating that people may have some kind of latent ESP. Uh, we'll also talk to Benjamin Radford, deputy, deputy editor for Skeptical Inquirer magazine, co-host of a new podcast called Squaring the Strange. He would be on the skeptical and doubting end of the spectrum. But we're going to begin with two guests here, uh, Jennifer Weigel, Emmy-winning broadcast journalist and author of Psychics, Healers, and Mediums, a journalist, a road trip, and voices from the other side. Uh, and then Emily Stroya, intuitive medium, founder of the Intuitive Soul Academy and author of several books, including Psychic Development for beginners and her latest, Fight for Your Life. So, um, first of all, uh, Jennifer Weigel, welcome to our conversation. Hi, thank you so much. It's Weigel, by the way. Oh, Weigel. I appreciate being here. Thank you. Terribly sorry. And so, no um, maybe uh, talk about this. Y- your career up to a certain point had not, for the most part, dealt with the paranormal. Uh, how did you get interested in this? Oh, absolutely. I was a journalist with CBS um, and, and, you know, won an Emmy for my reporting, minding my own business and doing my thing, you know, reporting on fires and accidents and um, everything's wrong. Back to you. And then my father died of a brain tumor. And that's what took me on this course. I actually thought I was going to do some sort of manual for people so that they wouldn't get ripped off by medium psychics or healers. And then I found myself meeting people with such a heightened sense of I guess I'd call it intuition and knowing who were able to tell me things they could not possibly Google. So that's what changed my sh- and shifted my perspective. Now, to me, the, the lay observer, it seems to me that people who uh, claim to have or are regarded as having psychic powers probably fall into two basic categories, people who can communicate with the dead and people who can tell the future or can say what is going to happen to someone. Um, and, and there's some overlap, I think, between those two categories. Am I missing anything else? Or are there other kinds of significant uh, powers or abilities that would fall within this rubric? I think there's also a level of healers that, you know, these people who sometimes they're massage therapists, sometimes they're actual MDs. 
Um, I met a medical doctor who had a near-death experience and then came back with some heightened senses of abilities that they didn't have before. So, you know, I think that there is a healing umbrella with some of this as well. Some people don't want to touch the healing side of things at all. They just want to tell you what's going to happen next Tuesday. And then there's others who just want to contact, you know, their mediumship abilities to talk to the dead. But, you know, I say we all have intuition. We're all born with it. It's just whether or not we want to develop that muscle. And I think that's important to note that we are all born with a gift of some kind of intuition. I mean, there's an entire section now in Barnes & Noble for intuition in business. So people are trying to tap into this more and more on a daily basis. Um, Your book is essentially a series of reported encounters uh, with people uh, claiming to be psychics. Was there one particular person or one particular encounter that you cite as especially persuasive to you or especially startling? Well, in every single chapter or encounter, I also brought with me a stranger that they couldn't research ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Stranger to them, not to me. Yeah. So I would bring a woman with me that they couldn't look up ahead of time. So, you know, chapter one is Thomas John, the Manhattan medium. He told me something that had happened literally 30 seconds prior to my sitting down with him. Mm-hmm. I had just killed a real estate deal, and I looked up at the sky, and I, I said to my dead dad, all right, dad, if he brings that up, I'll be impressed. And sure enough, I sat down and he brought that up. Mm. Um, you know, the Bodine family out of Minneapolis, Echo, Nikki, and Michael, all came into this reluctantly. Their mom was into it and had psychics and mediums over at the house. And so by proximity, they started developing their gifts. And the next thing you know, you know, they've been doing it now since they were 7, 12, and 17 years old. Other people come into it later, completely sideswiped by it. Paul Selig, S-L-E-I-G. He was a professor at NYU. He's Chapter 6 in my book. And he didn't come into his gifts until his late 20s. And now he channels, you know, these these beings, I guess you'd call it. And I've seen it with my own eyes. His eyes change color. His voice changes. Some of this stuff I wouldn't have believed had I not seen it with my own eyes. All right. So uh, let's add to this conversation Emily Stroya, uh, as I said, intuitive medium, founder of the Intuitive Soul Academy and the author of several books, including Psychic Development for Beginners and her latest, Fight for Your Life. Uh, Emily Stroya, uh, Jennifer Weigel was just talking about uh, when people find uh, out about their gifts. When did you find out about yours? Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm just I'm I'm loving this conversation and um for me I I felt really intuitive growing up but I felt like it was something that I wasn't 100% aware of until I got older. I just remember having like these feelings of things before they would happen and just kind of feeling like it was a natural just part of me like a natural part of my state of being and then as I got older it was I started getting really curious about spirituality as a whole and like meditation and that's when it really started opening up for me because I started to research it and also take workshops on it. If I were to come to see you or a person were to come to see you these days, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's no such thing as a typical session, but to the extent there, that there is, walk us through what would happen, what is likely to happen? How do people present themselves and what do you do about what they say or ask? So most of the time when clients come to me, we I work with them usually by phone, um, and it actually helps. It supports the session because there aren't really like any. There's not really much there to um, distract a medium or a psychic, if you will. Um, so, not reading into body language or facial cues or things like that that sometimes can affect the nature of a session. So, we would start off with an intention, um, and then 
most of my clients come in because they want to connect with past loved ones. Mm. Um, and so I don't really, I don't ask for any information because I don't want to know anything about who it is they want to talk to. I just let them know how I work particularly. And then um, we go from there and we see, you know, who, who wants to connect in that session. You know, Emily, uh, at the end of the show, we're going to be talking to somebody who's uh, very much a skeptic, somebody who you know, devotes his, a substantial por- portion of his life to uh, to investigating things like this. And he, he's going to say, look, there's no such thing as this. It's never been provable in a scientific setting uh, that a lot of these people, whether they know it or not, they're doing cold reads or there are all these other kinds of explanations for why somebody might be able to tell somebody else a lot of things about that person. Uh, what's your response to that? I'm sure you get that. I'm sure people have said that to you. What do you say to it? You know, I mean, it's not it's not like a religion. It's not like I don't feel like this uh, this experience of the supernatural or this, or this type of phenomena is is a religion that someone needs to be converted to. I feel like this is an an individual experience, just in like Jen's journey and my own journey and anyone else's. That you know, there's there's some information in it that is just. Yeah, it's mind blowing, you know. And I felt really intuitive, but going into talking to the dead was really weird for me. I actually thought it was a little strange. I thought I was making it up for a while until, like, some of the details that were coming forward was just beyond my own capacity to to come up with that. You know, there's just absolutely no way. Um, and so, I, I that's what I feel is just that you know this is based on your own individual experience. You know, if it's something that you feel and it's, there's information there that sits with you then, you know, that's part of your journey. Could you explain, um, could you say how it feels? In other words, let's say that I called you up or I consulted you, and so both of my parents are dead, and I want to know something about them or whatever. If you were able to make contact with them, would it sound like their voices were talking to you, or would you just be getting information in a way that felt more cerebral? I mean, how, how does it feel when you're getting that kind of information? For me, the experience of working with spirit comes through a feeling that isn't of my own. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't come in as, as like um, part of my natural state of being. Almost, it feels a little bit like outside of me that I'm in a conversation with someone, almost telepathically, if that makes any sense. Um, but that's how it shows up for me. And I believe every medium has a different way of working with spirit. They, everyone has a different way of experiencing life too. Uh, you know, the way that we learn. Some, someone might be more of a visual learner versus uh, someone who is better with, like, listening. So um, for me, I've noticed that my way of working with spirit is a lot more of, like, hearing, and it feels kind of almost similar to almost a dreamlike state. Like, there's a, an energy there that um, I'm able to, to hear or feel things. Um, and sometimes there are names or very specific details of, of information um, that comes in, and they're, they're very quick impressions. In my research, if I might add, yeah, also, Emily, when I was interviewing people, they, they show, like she was saying, a different way of communicating. Some are clairaudient, they hear. Yeah. Some are clairvoyant, they see. Some are clairsentient, they sense. Claircognizant, they just have a knowing. And, you know, Echo Bodine talks about when intuition hits, it's like the bird that flies across your car. It's very yeah. sudden, and it's also, it's, it's quick, but it's like a whisper. It's not like an anvil over the head. It's, it's yeah. just this kind of quick thing going right in front of your car, like, oh, what was that? It's not of your ego mind. It's coming from somewhere else. Um, you know, yeah. Yeah, Emily, you said people come, in, come to you with an intention. What do you mean by an intention? So most of the time, like, 
I would ask them, like, uh, what's your intention for today's session? And they would say it's either more of an intuitive uh, reading or an intuitive session, and then the other part of it is working with spirit. So that's pretty much the 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 intention of the session would be just to focus in on, on are we working with spirit or are we working with, with your journey? Um, because it's very different, right? Sometimes people want to come in and talk about, you know, their own spiritual experience and, and their own gifts and trying to make sense of their own gifts um, or their, their experiences that they've had in the past, and that's fine. But most of the sessions that I have are usually spirit-based in which we are working with spirit. Um, you know, I, the, the these make for very bracing and startling stories. I'm going to um, let you tell one of them. Um, you did do a reading of a young woman who I think was being, well, you were being communicated with by her deceased boyfriend who had a very specific message. Tell that story. Yeah, that was um, a really impactful um, experience for me. And she had came in and, and didn't you know she didn't tell me anything and i always let every client know that i don't want to know any information about anybody on the other side um and so we were working together and her her boyfriend who had passed came forward and connected with me and had shown me some very specific details about their relationship um including just the um unhealthiness of it and the abuse that was there and um it was just a really kind of a, a bit of a sad relationship, and he had passed quite unexpectedly. Um, and so when I, the messages that came forward were really kind of a, of a healing nature for her um, in his apology to her on how he was, he had been when he was here. And then about a year or so later, she came back to me, and I remembered her face, but I didn't remember clearly like all of the pieces of, of stuff from our session. Um, and when we started working together, it was completely of a different nature. There was really no mediumship involved in this session. And at the end, she had shared with me um, that this story of how we had connected about a year ago, um, and I had connected with her ex-boyfriend. And she said to me that prior to that session, she had had uh, like nightmares for years about that relationship. Um, and after that session... Uh, shortly after her like nightmares and a lot of trauma around that relationship started to go away, and she ended up meeting someone that she fell in love with, who she he was like her her new partner in her life, um, and it was just it was a really beautiful experience for me um, to see like the magic and the healing that can happen in a session um, just by talking to spirit and and the impact that it can have on someone's life, uh, even their own emotional health and well being. So, Jen Weigel, as you did this book, I mean, uh, there are just this is public radio. So a lot of people are listening. They're probably already mad at me for doing this show at all. Uh, and, and and probably some of them are saying, you know what? You know who goes to psychics? People who are in need, people who either feel under advised and unable to deal with whatever situation they're dealing with at work or in their personal life. They're looking for clarity. They're looking for help or they're bereaved. They're, you know, they're they, they haven't gotten over a death. And so they want help. And those people are the most disposed to to being to being helped in this way they're, they're they have a predisposition to believing what they hear and believing that someone can help them contact the dead or see their future or understand what's really happening in their lives so as a journalist how how do you control for that how do you persuade yourself that that's not what's happening I think in every profession, in journalism, in doctors, in lawyers, in mechanics, there's going to be shysters. That's just the way it is. 
And so I tell people to be skeptical going into this, because if they believe everything they hear, then they're going to have a serious problem. And I also think that because of free will, at any moment we can change our trajectory. So I don't know that I believe a psychic can predict anyone's future, to be quite honest. I do believe in intuition and that somebody can talk to a soul or a spirit because I've talked with living miracles, people who have died and come back, people who are without oxygen for 30 minutes. How do you explain that? I mean, they're living miracles. So it takes something like that, an experience with a living miracle, to shift your perspective into believing that this is even possible. But I unfortunately think there are a lot of people throughout history and historical writings, and like you mentioned, some of the references in the Bible of the gypsies and the seers. That's not what I'm into. That's not what floats my boat. What really interests me is that there is science now attached they put these sensors on brains of mediums, and when they're contacting the other side, like when Emily is talking to that boyfriend that she referenced, there's going to be a part of her brain that is active, that is dormant in your brain or my brain. And that is the stuff that we need to start digging into, because if we don't research this stuff, we're going to keep thinking it's okay to do whatever the status quo is. I mean, we used to think it was okay to smoke in airplanes. There was a non-smoking section in an airplane. And now we know that's ridiculous. So we have to keep probing, and that's how we get more research, and that's how we get more knowledge. Um, I'm going to let you uh, tell a story, too. Um, this is one that you've mentioned a few times, this Bodine family. Uh, and uh, this is maybe almost a little bit closer to what some people call astral projection. But there was uh, an encounter that you had, uh, well, first of all, an experience you had in a car driving away, right, from an encounter with this family? Exactly. So astral projection, if people are familiar with the term remote viewing, you know, the government had programs where they hired these people to sit and try to find the bad guys in Afghanistan. That was remote viewing. This is through the CIA. So this is documented as well. But people are coming forward with this research. So some of these mediums and psychics and healers claim that they can do this, where there's no time and space and they're just going and they're projecting their, you know, whatever they're trying to see something where they're not. And Michael Bodine, I, we were driving away from Minnesota, and the woman I was with is this business executive, you know, hardly into mediums or psychics or healers. And her dad died when she was 13, and her dad came barreling through in a reading, and she's just sort of decompressing all this information. And she looks in the rearview mirror, and she saw a face, and she freaked out. And I freaked out because I didn't see a face, and we looked. And then we each felt a tap on our shoulder, and we were freaked out by that. Again, it's like a haunting. Here it is, live and in person. So I texted Michael, and I said, where are you right now? And he wrote back immediately, in your back seat. <laughs> we were like, ah! And so it's little things like that. Again, now, could he have just been thinking, oh, I wonder what they're experiencing right now. Maybe I'll text back in your back seat. Hmm. A cynic would say that, and I understand that as well. But when you feel something that is not there, squeeze your shoulder, it kind of makes you go, wow, we really don't have all the answers, do we? Um, Emily, what do you tell clients? What, what do you tell them about what you can and can't do? Um, what, what do you mean? Well, do you, like, I mean, obviously, if you, if you guaranteed results 100% of the mm-hmm. time or something like that, um, you might even be subject to prosecution or something. So, so what do you mm-hmm. tell them in terms of what, they, what, are, what are reasonable expectations for dealing with you? So, um, first off, I don't really work a lot with, with predictive um, things because I, I agree I feel like the future is really up to your design so um, my sessions have really shifted more into uh, being a support to someone if they come in and, and they want to like redesign their life and, and move into their own space of, of truth 
um, whether it's discovering their own spiritual ability and sharing that um, or really just finding out, you know, what they're here, what they really want to focus in on. That's a bit of a different type of a session. But working with spirit-wise, I let the person know that it's not 100% guarantee that the person you want to hear from that, you know, is that special loved one is going to connect. You know, I don't have a direct line to that one particular soul. And so uh, it's just, it, it is possible that very likely they, that individual will come forward, but it's not 100% that that person will. Um, and so the information that may come forward may be um, specific memories on, on, on their life together, their relationship, um, uh, their way of being when they were here, what they do, uh, maybe possibly names or dates. Um, things like that may come forward. So that's the type of evidence that will be there. And then also, like, how are they looking out for them now? Like, they might talk about what's been happening in the client's life since they passed away. So recent updates, um, or what they're doing uh, since they've passed. Who are they with over there? Um, so they may also bring in other family members or, or even animals um, that were special in their relationship. All right. Things like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's time for us to take a, a little break here, uh, and we're going to come back and uh, introduce you to some other folks. But right now we're going to say goodbye and thank you to Emily Stroya, whom you just heard, and Jennifer Weigel. We'll be back after this break. Can I escape what she sees? She said all the years that have come to pass and all the years that shall be. I see here, right before me. You're listening to a rebroadcast of the Colin McEnroe Show. It was originally recorded June 28th of 2017. Right. Uh, we're going to look now at several other aspects of so the whole notion of psychic phenomena, psychic abilities. Uh, and in this one in particular, you're probably familiar with. Well, gr- let me just say this. Growing up as a boy, I think I read two books, one by him and one about him, uh, involving a man named Peter Herkos. I think he was a Dutch immigrant to the United States who um, said that he was routinely consulted by the police uh, when they were stumped uh, on a case. This idea has been around for a really long time. Uh, you may have seen the series Media. Uh, featuring Patricia Arquette. We'll hear a little uh, clip from a medium right now in which the police ask uh, Allison, uh, the protagonist, to step in and find the killer in a cold case. Six months ago, Gabrielle's sister Robin was found murdered in a cottage she rented on Saguado Lake. There were no witnesses and, as of now, no suspects. Six months ago, there was nothing I could do about that. Now I can. That's why I'm putting my two best people on it. face. What are you talking about? The killer. I think I saw his face. Maybe if you put me together with a sketch artist, we might have something for you to work with this afternoon. All right. So there's a reason that that character is named Allison, and specifically Allison Dubois. She is patterned directly after one of our guests here. First of all, let me say a little bit later in this segment, we'll be talking to Daryl Bem, a professor of psychology emeritus at Cornell University, who's attempted to study some of these phenomena in laboratory settings. Right now, we're talking to Allison Dubois, a psychic medium profiler, author of several books, including uh, Into the Dark, 
How the Dead Help Us Heal. She's, as I say, the psychic upon which that NBC drama, Medium, was based. So, first of all, welcome welcome to our conversation. Thank you. And so, uh, you know, how common is something like that? In your, how common has it been in your life? Well, or let me back up and, and put it another way. Why would the police come to someone like you and, and ask for help? You know, actually, I wish they didn't have to come to someone like me, but um, they do their job first. I'm brought in if a case goes cold. So, um, you know, the police are very capable. They're trained in their profession to solve crimes. DNA goes a long way now, but sometimes, you know, especially if it's a cold case from like the 1980s or before, they didn't really have the DNA technology or know to collect um, certain aspects of DNA back then. So then somebody like me can be brought in to try and get, get some fresh impressions. You know, the, in the first segment, we talked a lot about the notion of an intuition. And intuition could mean a much more generalized thing, a way in which people maybe perceive uh, clues and cues that don't necessarily have uh, a firm sensory basis. People <laughs> think things or perceive things. They don't even really exactly know why. And, and, and ultimately, who knows why? It's maybe even a giant philosophical question about whether we're completely in command of our senses. But, but my sense in knowing about you is you're, you're basically claiming a bigger thing than that. It's not just that you get impressions and you don't know where they come from. You do know where they come from. Right. Um, and when I work a case, for instance, sometimes I'll get an impression of a time that the body will be found. Because I interned in homicide, I, was, I went to school. To, I was going to be a prosecuting attorney. That's how this all started for me. So um, I didn't start out to be a medium. I was going to be a lawyer. And it didn't, took me down this path. It was my job to sort the crime scene photos to go to court, and I was seeing what was happening before the person was killed in the photograph. So um, I think it does help me knowing that what law enforcement needs in order to make a case or to connect the dots as far as evidence, like where a palm print can be lifted, that there was a camera on the corner that they didn't check that they need to check because there's footage of the crime, that sort of thing. So sometimes it's just me telling them when they can when they're going to find the body and sometimes it's me telling them where the evidence is and and is it inevitably the case for you that the reason that you're able to tell the police something like that is because the deceased is telling you yeah um i was studied in a laboratory for 4 years actually when i started doing this because if i wasn't really accurate i didn't want to do it professionally i would have gone back to law school so i was studied at the university of arizona and we were given basically no information, and they'd ask a question to somebody who died without us knowing the question. We had to talk to the deceased and give the professors the answer. So it wasn't easy, and it's not, um, you know, mind reading. We were able to remove that as a theory when we'd read somebody on a phone that would be a taped uh, reading by the um, professors, and we'd give information to the living person that we're reading that they had to validate through a third party. So that eliminated the fact that we could maybe just be reading their mind, which would be amazing in itself. But um, since they had to validate the information from the deceased through a third party, it showed that we're talking to something that's giving us the information. And when you say we, you and other mediums were being studied that way? Yeah, um, Lori Campbell was a fellow medium there, and John Edward was studied there, and um, um, 
we were we were kept separate, but um, obviously we'd have a cocktail later in the day. <laughs> um, so you know, in, sometimes when there is a big arrest, a big bust, there'll be like a press conference, and there'll be prosecutors and police, and people being thanked and saluted and for their fine work on this. Uh, there's almost never a psychic at those press conferences. You guys and there never uh, will be. And there never will be. Sure. Well, talk about why that is. You guys are the love that dare not speak its name, uh, or at least the law enforcement assistance that dare not speak its name. And what's been your experience with helping law enforcement as opposed to having them acknowledge it? You know, I work very few cases now for the reasons that, you know, I'll lay out in front of you. It, you know, it's a thankless job, first of all. You tell them when they're going to find the body or you lead them to a suspect. You never get invited to the funeral of the victim or rarely get invited. Um, and after you've been kind of uh, used in the process, you, you don't often hear from the, the people again unless they need you to work another case and it's just I never have charged for working a case because I feel very blessed so it's my way of giving back is by just having donated my time working countless cases but um, you know the people that you work with sometimes I've my in my experience have gotten in trouble for bringing me to um, a crime scene of a serial rapist uh, you know, hotbed of where they were targeting their victims, um, you know, and and sus- they've been suspended. So um, most of the time it's fine, but there have been some instances where um, I'll hear from a police department and they're like, what you said is exactly what we believe happened. And then all of a sudden as it goes up the ranks, you know, that they want to bring in a psychic, often the kibosh is put on it um, halfway through the process by somebody higher up. So, I mean, it's not fully embraced yet. It's not something that um, most police departments are completely open to. I've been to many, many crime scenes. Um, I've, I've worked many, many cases, and they all impact you, and you carry it with you. So I, I pick my cases that I'll work very carefully, and it depends on who the person is trying to bring me in. I don't let the family of the victims like bring me in on the on the cases um it's very rare that i would do that i did one time because there was a missing girl and she'd been missing for a, a few months and i they asked me to come to their house and you know just go into her room and get some impressions of who may have committed the crime and i did and but that's very rare that i would do that because i like a buffer a third party you know law enforcement somebody of that nature as a go-between, because I don't want to hurt the family with any of the information that I give. I mean, you trained to be a prosecutor, not me, but my intuition, I guess, tells me that in terms of probable cause and chain of evidence, it might be destructive to a case uh, if it were known that a psychic had been called in, that maybe that was one of the reasons certain things were identified as significant, or maybe even a person of interest was identified as a person of interest. Uh, That could, in fact, I mean, you would understand, I think, why a prosecutor would not want that known. You know, it's funny, when I was interning in homicide, um, it, they were actually, the, the DAs were more open to what I could do than the police are. <laughs> so I kind of look back, the way it started for me is they used me as a jury consultant to assemble a jury that says they'd never give a death penalty under any circumstance, and it's my job to put people on the jury that I can flip. Mm-hmm. by telling the prosecution what that person wants to hear or needs to hear in order to be able to do what we're asking them to do. So um, 
we we were six for seven, so I was pretty proud of that. And then the show came. In other words, six cases that they might have gotten off on a technicality, we actually won. And um, and the seventh was an unwinnable case. Unfortunately, the girl's body had been found in the in the um, trailer, but he said he went to the store. So even though we found the, her remains there, we couldn't tie him through DNA to the three-year-old's body. So that was the one that we couldn't get. But then the show came out, and then I was recognizable from press, and I had to stop doing that. But I found um, the DAs to be much more open to the process than the police uh, have been. Allison, I've got to ask you this. If you were instrumental uh, in obtaining the death penalty uh, for uh, certain defendants, do you ever hear from those guys later? Oh, yeah. I'm actually really good friends with all of them. People who got, no, I mean people who got executed. Oh no, yeah. no! Here's the thing: when somebody that's done something as dark as the as the men who I helped to put away mm-hmm. have done, um, energy gravitates to like energy. So when they die, people like that end up in the same place. So I guess some people would call that hell because they're low level frequency of energy, and so. A lot of them aren't sorry for what they did. They didn't evolve. They didn't learn anything. They didn't find a sense of self before they died. And they're just kind of this dark, festering energy that just sits. So um, it's not like they're going to come looking for me. I'm more of afraid of the living ones than sitting in the courtroom with somebody who's raped, tortured, and murdered somebody is much more frightening than thinking of the ghost of them to me. I hear you. Alison Dubois, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been great. We're going to have to move along here quickly. Uh, I sort of screwed up the time here, but she was so interesting. But then so is Daryl Bem. Daryl Bem is a uh, professor emeritus uh, of psychology at Cornell University. So welcome to our conversation. You've tried to study this phenomenon in a laboratory setting. So how did you do it? Uh, well, um, I've been at it for about 10 years. I have, this is not to brag, but rather to say that I live among skeptics. I have degrees in, in both uh, physics and psychology. And so I'm surrounded by people who are very skeptical mm-hmm. that any of these things actually exist. Now, the woman you just talked to actually was studied at the University of Arizona, and that's one of the very few academic institutions in the country that has an active program ongoing. So I'm familiar with the, I, the data that she herself generated in that when she was being studied. There was actually um, a, a woman here uh, about a, more than a century ago, Theodate Pope Riddle, who was very close to William James, who, as you probably know, was very interested yes. in parapsychology. She offered to endow, she was very wealthy, she offered to endow a chair of parapsychology at Harvard, presumably for William James, and Harvard turned down the money unless they could call it something else. They didn't want to yes, call it a chair. they did call it something else, and I've, I spent a year at Harvard as a visiting professor, and the, the money they have for that paid me for my lecture. So, <laughs> so, so, tell, so what kind of things do you do? Like, give us a well, typical experiment. Well, I'm primarily interested in uh, precognition. Mm-hmm. That's the most puzzling, the, the one that's, oh, my God, could that be? Uh, because it's the hardest for both physics and for psychology to explain. And uh, it's the one that I'm most interested in. And precognition is also of historical interest in almost all religions. I'm going back to the Old Testament mm-hmm. when Joseph was interpreting the dreams of the Pharaoh to predict whether or not Egypt would have feast or famine for the next seven years. So so, so we don't run out of time here. Give us an example of how you would test precognition. Okay. 
this is one that I actually appeared on the Colbert Report for because it contained erotic images. In, in our experiments, uh, a person sits in front of a computer screen and they see a picture of two, um, two curtains and they are told that there is a picture behind one of the curtains and a blank wall behind the other and that they are to try to guess over a series of trials which uh, curtain uh, contains the picture behind it. Half of the pictures are actually quite erotic. Uh, we get them from porn sites even. Uh, and they know that. They have to give their permission and they have to be over 18 and the university has to have given their blessing to this experiment. And even though we tell them the picture is there before they go, they actually the computer has not decided where the picture will be until after they make their judgment. Then the computer flips a, flips a coin to decide which curtain will have it. And so whatever curtain they designate opens up either to show them a blank wall or a neutral picture or, a, or an erotic picture. And that, um, that was how we did. What we do is just measure, since you'd expect them to get it right by pure chance 50% of the time, what we do is give them a score of how many did they get right mm -hmm. and did they get more right on the erotic pictures than on the neutral pictures. And that experiment has now been repeated uh, in many, many countries. I published this in 2011, and uh, in 2015 we did a review of all the follow-ups, mm. and 68 individual researchers have now been able to duplicate that experiment. And when you say duplicate it, in other words, people did substantially better than chance would suggest, yes. and even better than that on the, uh, like, how much better? Well, it's going to sound, I'll explain to you why it doesn't sound like a lot to many people, we get 50, they get 53%, or 50% is by chance. But that's only small by comparison to other things. So Obama won the 2008 election, which was considered almost a landslide. He got 53% of the vote. Mm -hmm. If you play a roulette wheel, they're actually where you do a bet on red or black or even or odd. That looks like a 50-50 bet. But in fact, a roulette wheel has two additional holes, and if the ball ends up in one of those holes, then the casino wins. As a result, it isn't a 50-50 bet. The casino actually wins 53% mm -hmm. of those votes, of those uh, gambles. And we should say and the, peop the people that you're testing are not people who claim to have any precognitive no, abilities. No, we're just, just using ordinary people. And in fact, I have uh, now, I am in the process of writing a an online one that you can take through any browser and so but not uh, i haven't yet posted it but when i do you can put it on your website all right uh well listen we have to take, grab a little break here we've been talking to uh, daryl bem professor emeritus uh, at cornell we're going to take that break we're going to come back with a full-on uh, skeptical review of all this You're listening to a rebroadcast of the Colin McEnroe Show. It was originally recorded June 28th of 2017. Hold on, I'm getting a mental picture, an image that the show was produced by Bodie McBoatface. Oh, Josh Nalea. And by Hoopty Hoopty Girl. Kion Wolf. In other words, you. I'm seeing another presence. It's like, it's like a cat wearing a jetpack. 
Amanda Fish, not even close. And wait, I'm picking up the names of our interns. Cuckoo Bird and Plasma Turkey Jerky Pincushion. Carmen Baskoff and Tim Kong. The part of Bill Curry was played by Jennifer Love Hewitt. That's actually true. How'd you know that? On tomorrow's show, wait, I'm sensing something about a fast and easy homemade ice cream bar covered in chocolate and nuts. That's the food schmooze, so no. And now, back to tiger poop. Back to Colin. Okay, so she's not a very good psychic. Joining us now is Benjamin Radford, deputy editor uh, for the Skeptical Inquirer magazine, co-host of a new podcast called Squaring the Strange. So, uh, Ben Radford, we've heard uh, a bit about experiments in Cornell and experiments in Arizona. Um, what should we think about these experiments? Well, you know, th- th- there's a couple things. First of all, you know, people people love the idea that uh, that you know psychic power exists. We all who, who doesn't want there to be psychic power in the world? I mean, I would love that. I would, I would, I would love to have psychic powers. I would love to be able to to hire people to tell me what the future holds, or you know, where I can find hidden treasures or or missing persons for that matter. So, we all want the same thing. We all want it to be true. The problem is, just from a skeptical and scientific point of view, the evidence just isn't there. That's that's the big problem. So, like, for example, you just, I, I know that you've, in fact, written about the work of Daryl Bem. Uh, what would you say? Uh, he says uh, 53% uh, d- demonstrating some kind of extra knowledge uh, beyond what's available to them that's significant. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do give credit to, to Bem and other researchers, uh, you know, uh, Robert John, uh, Ryan before him. I mean, these people, for the most part, are sincere. They're, they're genuinely trying to find uh, evidence for, for what we call psi or psychic ability. So, you know, I'm, I don't dismiss or, or ridicule them at all. I, I, I think it's great. The problem is that when you take a closer look at their evidence, when you take a closer look at the studies that they do, oftentimes there is a failure to replicate. Uh, you know, of course, in science, we need, uh, we need, you know, the burden of proof is on the claimant, right? So it's not up to skeptics or scientists to, to disprove the, the existence of, of, of psychic ability. The burden of proof is on the people making the claim. And in this case, you know, it, it's Bem and others. And um, so, you know, oftentimes... You, you have these experiments, which which you know, oftentimes they're they're not they're not really well controlled. They're not replicated, uh, and that's of course the gold standard for science. Uh, partly because uh, when you're when you're doing these sorts of experiments, uh, there's any number of factors that can come into play. Right? There could be experimenter bias. There could be uh, any number of things that you that are difficult to control for, and that's why the gold standard is, rep, is rep, replicability. And so the main concern that I have about Bem's work is what's called p-hacking. And that's basically where you salvage meaning from failed experiments if your p-value is low enough. The p-value, for those who don't know, it's basically it's when you have an experiment, the probability needs to be better than 0.05 that the results are due to chance. Because, again, in any given experiment, you know, there could be random chance, right? Just, it just happens to be, you know, be, be valid in this case. Uh, so what often happens is that people do data mining, and they they don't get the they don't get the the outcome they want. So they they rerun the numbers again and again and again, and eventually they will sometimes tease out from a massive amount of data something that's significant. Now I heard Bem talking about 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 you know the the experiment that he says uh, had had uh, been replicated, and the the results were 53% versus 50%. Now again, keep keep in mind what he's saying. What he's saying is that is that in these experiments, which he's holding up as good evidence for psi and psychic ability, is that is that you know 
people, the average person would choose A over B 50% of the time. He's saying that his psychics or people who either you know, don't know their psyche but in fact may have psychic ability can do that 53% of the time. Now think about that for a second, right? If I hire a doctor or a pilot or any other professional, I want them to be able to do much better than random chance, right? I, I don't want, I don't want, you know, well, could they, you know, can you do this operation successful, successfully? Eh, flip a coin, right? I don't want that. In, in, the, in the things that we know for, for fact exist, the abilities that we know, the, the skills that are tangible, um, the people perform much, much higher than chance. And so the fact that he's getting you know, a 53% versus 50% uh, success rate is not, not really that impressive. Um, we're almost out of time. We need to like have a whole bunch of in Radford show where we just talk for you, talk to you for the whole show. We do know that you know another group of people who hope that psychic powers exist are people like the government and the military, right? Much easier to find Saddam yes. Hussein if you can put somebody in a chair in Bethesda and have them see where Saddam Hussein is. Uh, and then during the Cold War, there was supposedly Project Stargate. Um, just very quickly, what's your response to all that? Looking around for psychic ability to help you find your enemies or fight your enemies. Well, you know, again, it would be, I would love to have psychics working for the TSA and national security. I mean, if, if they can do what they claim to do, this would be an immense boon and profit to, to, to the country and the world's safety. Uh, the, the problem is that they can't do what they're, what they're claimed to do. And you can look at real-world cases. Look at uh, Elizabeth Thomas, the Tennessee teenager abducted by her teacher in April, right? They were missing for, for weeks, 40 days later. And no psychics came forward to find this, this poor girl who had been abducted by her teacher, and it was late, they were later found uh, by a, a maintenance guy in Northern California. So the question I have is, if you can do it, then do it. Why, why aren't they finding missing persons? Why aren't they solving these high-profile cases? Why aren't they telling us about the, the Manchester bombing uh, and helping prevent those sorts of things? So when the rubber hits the road, the psychics just aren't there. All right. Benjamin Radford, great to talk to you. Uh, Benjamin Radford is deputy editor for The Skeptical Inquirer and co-hosts a new podcast called Squaring the Strange. So, I don't know. I hope we did. I, I could probably even tell psychically whether we did a good job today or not. Let us know uh, either on our Facebook page, Colin McEnroe Show, or email me, Colin, at WNPR.org. So help me sing. Tell me what you want from me. Thank you, everybody. This is my first, first time, time at the Comedy Cellar. Um, so, okay, this funny, funny thing, thing happened on the, the way, way to... What kind of psychic wants to go to a comedy show? <laughs>